It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening. It's Tuesday. It's taking care of business. 7pm here on Midlands 103 with me, Ronan Berry. I hope you're keeping well this evening and wrapped up safe now that Storm Jocelyn is kind of on her way. Hopefully it won't be as bad as the weekend. But anyway, plenty to come up for you over the next hour or so, including recruitment trends and job searching forecasts. Yasmin Al-Kersi of Upper Recruitment will be along later to talk about everything that you need to be aware of when it comes to job retention staff attraction, what are the perks that are going to become in in 2020-2024 and also this is a year that the the youngest of the baby boomer generation will be turning 60 as well so are we going to see a lot of retirements from maybe senior positions in companies in 2024 and of course is that a talent pool that can be tapped into for your organisation well also this evening though I'll have to look at the ever occurring problem of rising cost of doing business last week David Quirk, the owner of Wholesome Kitchen in Mullingar, wrote to local councillors and TDs to express their business concerns about the ever-increasing cost of doing business in this country. It was taken up by Robert Troy, TD for Longford Westmead, in the Dole at the end of last week. And he was quite vocal and he read out some of the figures and statistics that David had supplied to them in, in, in their letter just to highlight how much it could and how much cost it could put on local businesses. And these are businesses, bear in mind, that they're not concerned with, you know, trebling their their profits or their growth every every year. They're looking at having a viable, sustainable business, often on our high streets, creating lots of local employment, providing a great service to local people, a service that people are more than willing to pay for. And yet they're being faced with, with increasing costs and increasing challenges. And many businesses could go out of business this year unless maybe something can be done about it. So later David will join me just to talk us more about that and, and to outline those concerns that him and, and so many businesses like theirs would have. You know, they're not, they're not worried yet, but they are worried for what could happen unless some sort of change or some sort of pause isn't brought about. So that'll be coming from around half past seven this evening. If you want to be part of this evening's conversation, 083 30 10 103 is the text and WhatsApp number or you can give me business at midlands103.com. Always happy to hear your thoughts and have your opinions put and, you know, around those topics because we know there are ever pressing concerns. We're this evening actually about the, you know, that, that will we be allowed to use cash in business anymore? You know, big moves made in that this evening. So if I have any more updates on that, I'll bring them to you. But first this evening, I'd like to introduce you to Kevin Brady. And uh, Kevin is here in front of me and comes with what I can only say is a glittering CV. He has 25 years operational leadership experience in the biopharmaceutical industry in Ireland, leading cross-functional teams and being responsible for manufacturing sites in Ireland and the US, bringing new medicines to the market for patients with neurodegenerative, cardiovascular and metabolic diseases. He is currently the VP and General Manager of Airy Pharmaceuticals Ireland, now part of the Alcon Group, based in Athlone, where he leads a team of over 100 people in the delivery of new treatments for eye diseases. He previously worked in senior leadership roles at Alcremere's and Athlone for 13 years, six of which were as site director. He holds a PhD in pharmacology, is an ICF certified professional coach and is the founder of Performance Unlocked, a company dedicated to unlocking the potential in individuals, teams and organisations. 
And best of all, he's a Midlands man, hailing from Port Arlington County Offaly and now living in County Longford. Kevin, you're very welcome to Taking Care of Business. Thanks very much, Roland. Thanks for having me. Kevin, you have had quite a stellar career, if one must, if it must be said to date. I am... You know, some senior leadership positions at some massive pharmaceutical companies across the Midlands. How did you first get into that whole area of pharmacology coming from Port Arlington and, and talk us through your career development to date? Yeah, thanks, Ronan. Yeah, so I guess from a from a child growing up in Port Arlington, my, my mum and dad are still there. Um, my dad, James, is, a, is the local vet. And uh, from a very young age, I was exposed to, to medicines. Um, my, I can recall my mother making medicines in, in the kitchen. For, for animals and, and, and large animal practice. So uh, from a very young age, I had an interest in medicine and, and the, I suppose the benefits that medicine can, can bring. Um, and I suppose from there, my interest in, in school and university was in, in the area of science. So from, from my uh, background in, in CBS in Port Arlington, I moved to UCD and studied pharmacology there, uh, completed a PhD, um, specifically in the area of uh, immune disease, really. That was my, my area of interest, uh, Ronan. So... Um, and then from there, I always wanted to work in industry. I always had an interest in seeing if we could develop new medicines and, and bring those to market. So uh, my career then uh, moved on from academia into industry. And I worked, uh, started my uh, working career in what was New, uh, Newbridge Wyeth at the time and now Pfizer. Um, and uh, worked there for the first part of my career. But it really was that opportunity to bring new medicines to patients really, Ronan, that inspired me on my career to, to try and improve the outcomes for patients and improve patients' lives. I think working in the pharmaceutical industry, we're privileged to be able to do that. And obviously, Ireland has been a real hub for pharma over the last 20 years. I think that's down to a number of key things. I think the level of academic qualifications that people have in Ireland is, is exemplary. And that sets the uh, organization uh, organizations up for highly technically talented people. So, yeah, that's a little bit of my background, Ronan. When it comes to leading organisations of the size that you've been involved in, you're talking of you know high-performing teams, you know multidisciplinary teams, cross-functional across different time zones, different countries. How naturally did you adopt to that coming from an academic background? Yeah, so obviously um, my uh, big challenge moving from academia into into that. I think my uh, my first role back in the day in, in Newbridge was to, to manage a, a production team on on shift, and so on evening shift and and night shift. So. Um, those folks definitely helped me uh, kind of take the corners off me and, and the green the greenness that comes from academia. So, um, but I learned very quickly that as a as a leader of people, you're really, you know, your your success is based on on the team, and ultimately, um, you're only as good as the people working for you. And I think I've always tried to understand and respect the teams that have worked for me, and try and do my best to support them. And I think that's fundamentally the role of a leader. Um, Yes, you need to have a technical proficiency, but moreover, I think people look to you to be somebody that they can uh, be, get support from when they need it and direction and guidance. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a journey, all right, from academia, but one that I've, I've, I have been very lucky to work with great people throughout my career. And you're here to even talk to us about about that thing, about getting high performance from teams, both now in, in the environment as it sits, you know, right as here and now, but also looking to the future as we see different skill sets, different generations, different maybe work attitudes coming in too. For yourself, though, coming out of the lab into a management position, was it a very natural leap then or did you yourself undergo extensive training or coaching and development work for that? Yeah, so I'd say a mixture of both, Ronan. I, I was, as I said, fortunate to work for great companies who invested in my development. 
as well. So I would have obviously learned on the job, but also, um, you know, tried to develop myself and, and uh, attend both programs, courses, both internally within companies and externally to develop, I suppose, more of those people leadership skills. I think um, for most people, you know, uh, who manage and, and lead people, it's really a focus on relationships. How can we improve the quality of the relationships we have with our teams? And then secondly, I think it's around setting high standards for yourself, somebody that people will look towards um, for direction and you lead by that example. So I think they're the things that I probably focus on in, in my approach to, to leadership is, as you say, leaving a, a lab environment and working in industry. You know, I think at the end of the day, people are always focused on how can we support each other, whether that's a lab environment or, or the industry. So um, I, I think that's where I've tried to develop my career has been around making sure that you lead by example and, and set those high standards. What was the first, when did you first become aware of leadership or when did you first see leadership in action, be it in your early career or even at an earlier age? Yeah, I think, I suppose, obviously uh, playing sports in schools and, and, and afterwards, you know, you you learn some of the attributes of leadership through those experiences and playing with, with uh, back in the day with Gracefield, uh, as it was um, for me, um, definitely great experience. I think in, in industry, then, I've always been looked, looked to people that I can learn from. I think that's been the trait of leadership that I've tried to follow. Who are the people that um, I could um, aspire to be? Uh, qualities, attributes or skills that those people have. What can I learn from them? So I think I've been fortunate to work with, with great leaders, both here in Ireland and the US, that have enabled me to learn their skills and try and adopt those to my own, my own approach. Um, but I'd be very, I've always been very interested, Ronan, in leadership, whether that's on the sporting fields or in, in industry. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, crossover between those kind of core competencies of leadership. Yeah, I think sport often is that it's just at a, at a much faster pace. It has to just react, you know, and, and often if you watch what's happening sometimes at high, high level sport, years later, it seems to translate into the workplace. But given the scale of the organisations, we're talking multinationals, regularly American headed companies that you've worked for. Was it always a positive leadership experience that you experienced? I, I'm afraid not, Ronan. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> I, I wish you just yeah. <laughs> bust that myth anyway. I wish it was. I know, look, I think like um, what I would say is, you know, every day is a learning day. I think sometimes you learn more from uh, leaders that maybe you, you don't identify with or, or can't relate to. Um, and, and I think, you know, across large companies like that, you're, you always have people that you have more affinity towards than others. Uh, but, I, but I would say, you know, I try to look at each leader that I've worked for and see what are the qualities and attributes that maybe I want to improve on and what are the things that I think, gosh, that's something I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, to, to be like. So I think um, having that learning mindset, I think, is important as a leader. Where can you learn? Who can you learn from? Um, what can they offer your, your career? In your current role then with, um, with Airy Pharmaceuticals, part of the Alcon Group, you know, your VP and general manager, well over 100 people um, on your staff at the minute. How do you find it now from a leadership perspective, you know, post-COVID? Have things changed out there? Is the approach still the same or have you, have you had to adapt as well, given the, the world we now, we're now in? Yeah, I think, I think every industry's had to adapt, Ronan, and we're no different in, in Airy. I think um, as part of... Our site, obviously, we're fortunate to supply medicines all over the world um, for our partners and, and our own products to uh, to patients that are suffering severe eye disease. So um, our employees, obviously, we've we've had to create and, and implement hybrid working strategies for our teams where possible. 
Um, obviously, as a manufacturing site, we, we have a requirement for our core teams to be physically present on site. But we've tried to make that experience as engaging as possible for our teams. So when people come to work, that they're, you know, they're developed and that they feel valued and engaged in the business. And then the, for those who can afford to, to be offered the opportunity to work on a hybrid basis, that they also feel connected to the, to the business because we don't want those folks to feel, you know, disconnected because they're not physically on the site every day. Uh, I think that's probably been the biggest uh, change post-COVID. But also, I think the level of engagement across industry is probably different now than it was before COVID, generally with employees. Different good, different less good? I, I think probably um, probably ch- more challenging in that people have probably questioned their what work means to them and ultimately what work should provide to them um, in 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 the future. Uh, so I think it's been good. It's it's probably challenging industry and organizations to have more flexibility and, and maybe um, have a bit more of a, of a genuine care and appreciation for employees, which I think is good. Mm. Surely someday now we'll have, um, you know, our wearables will be able to track our kind of physiological kind of levels of different <laughs> things and tell us how engaged we are. We'll be paid based on that. But I suppose no better person to take us through the kind of those those key things towards building a high performance team, both in the current environment and as we look forward, you know, post 2024 and beyond. Uh, we're going to touch on that with Kevin after this quick break. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come on Taking Care of Business this evening, I'll be talking to David Quirk, the owner of Wholesome Kitchen in Mullen. They wrote to local TDs and councillors last week expressing their concerns about what could happen for many businesses over the next year or so, given all the increased costs that are being brought in by new legislation and ever increasing price you know, increases on, on various supplies and raw materials, or whatever it might be affected with your business. They'll be here in about 10 or 15 minutes anyway to talk about their story. It was brought up by uh, T- Robert Troy, TD, in the Dáil last week too, uh, during Leaders' Questions, where he tried to highlight again exactly what's happening for businesses on the ground. So let's we'll get an update from David on that soon enough. We'll also look at some of the recruitment and job search trends that will be um, trending for 2024, but before the break, you heard me talking to Kevin Brady. Kevin is from Port Arlington, now lives in Longford, and he's the VP and General Manager of Erie Pharmaceuticals in Ireland, in, in Athlone, sorry. And he leads a team of over 100 people in the development of new treatments for eye diseases. And before the break, we were just kind of getting a sense of Kevin's own background, coming from a pharmacology uh, PhD up in Dublin and coming working in many businesses across Ireland, many pharmaceutical companies that should be familiar with. We spoke about leadership, leadership styles, what it was like for him coming out of the laboratory into more leadership roles, but also the current work environment. And just before the break, Kevin spoke about engagement or maybe a lack of, um, in some instances, you know, certainly post-COVID, that people have redefined maybe what work means to them and and how we can work on that. So if you're in a company and you're looking at building a high-performance team, well, Kevin has vast experience in doing so. He's also set up a, another company called Performance Unlocked, where he gives users his experience and knowledge and tries to assist other companies in creating high-performance teams. Kevin, high-performance team is a term we hear probably thrown around quite a lot. You've obviously worked in some clear high-performance teams. What are the key characteristics of it? Is it just hits metrics, doesn't give a crap what happens behind it, or is there much more under the under the surface? Yeah, Ronan, thanks very much. I would say much more in summary, much more. I think um, ultimately, you know, I think we, we talked a little bit about engagement. I think the level of engagement in organisations is uh, dismally low in general. And I think performance only comes from highly engaged teams. I, I think I'm very fortunate to have worked across a number of companies in, in very high performing teams that have been, you know, responsible for some of the most innovative medicines of the past 25 years. 
And in those teams, there are fingerprints, as I call them, you know, very similarly characterized fingerprints that uh, are present or left in organizations where high performance exists. And I suppose the purpose of Performance Unlocked is to try and bring those fingerprints to individuals, teams and organizations now. I think that's where I can have uh, a greater impact uh, and support organizations in doing that. So, yeah, it's really it's down to some uh, very effective fingerprints that I think are, are present. Um, and maybe I could talk a little bit about those. Absolutely, ones. yeah. I know the first one you've listed is, is to kind of create organizational clarity. So I think when we think of organizational engagement, clearly a clarity of message is, is, is paramount there as well. So take us through that one and that, that fingerprint in particular and, and what people should be looking out for. Yeah, sure, Ronan. So ultimately, when I talk about organizational clarity, it, it means exactly that, to make sure that every employee in your organization understands your ultimately what you're there to achieve and your vision for the organization. Um, it's a bit like, imagine people in a rowing boat, if, if we all have oars, but we're rowing in a different direction. I think it's very important that everybody understands the direction which we're trying to achieve and are rowing in that same way. So I think the acid test is if you in your organization, you asked five people at random, you know, what's your goal? Could those five people tell you the same answer? And I think if not, then you need to, organizations need to focus on organizational clarity. I think it's, it's, um, it's more than words on a wall. It's more than the vision and mission. Do people at all levels in your organization understand how they contribute to the business and how they contribute to the success of the business? I think that's really what organizational clarity means for me. And is something like, you know, staff feedback, you know, performance management, is that kind of a key, a part of that as well in getting that message across and making sure both management and leadership and, and the employees are aligned with that vision and, and those goals? Yeah, very much so, Ronan. So, like, you know, clarity only comes from from two aspects. One, obviously, the leader communicating what the business contribution, business objectives are, but as well listening by the leader, making sure that they're listening to the employee, what they're, what does engagement look like to the employee and how do they maximize the um, the business or the job satisfaction that the employees feel because employees aren't going to stay in organizations today where they feel, let's say, um, uh, you know, a, a lower level of engagement. We're very fortunate in Ireland. We have a, a very buoyant employment sector, particularly in the farm industry. So there's a real war for talent and we have to focus on engaging our employees through creating clarity for them around not only how can the business be successful, but how can they be successful and how can they reach their career aspirations. And I'm sure, you know, potential new hires are, are probably doing even more research on the actual company now mm-hmm. to make sure that there is a match there. So if you haven't got that out on paper, I suppose that leads us to kind of the second fingerprint as well is, is creating that a psychological safety in the workplace. Now, a term that some people listening may have heard of, many people may not have. Can you just give us an idea of what psychological safety in the workplace is? Because it's probably have people sitting up going, what are they going to talk about next? <laughs> well, in, in, in very simple terms, Ronan, what psychological safety means to me is that it's, it's permission for candor in an organisation. It's, it's permission for people to speak their minds freely and openly without fear of judgment or ridicule. Um, that's in essence what it means. And if your business is, is creating new medicines like mine is, well, then innovation is key. And if people don't feel that it's safe to speak up around risks or potential issues, then, um, then that impacts your ability to innovate. So, you know, you can imagine yourself and uh, there are certain industries where psychological safety is so important. The healthcare industry, you know, an airline, you, know, you want the pilot and co-pilot to be able to express risks uh, freely. So psychological safety in its essence is, for me, I believe, the, a real fuel for high performance. And interesting, earlier you mentioned, you know, the kind of similarities between the sporting world, the leadership world. I remember 
was I think it was 2010 when Henry Shefflin came back early after the cruciate ligament injury in the Ireland final and Kilkenny lost because he went off injured the team had a meeting I think weeks later I think Brian Cody insisted on right they wanted an open forum that every member of the panel could say what they want what their feelings were and they did they questioned you know the leadership around playing a player who was clearly injured but that was the forum they created that psychological safety and I think they created their own sort of unwritten charter that if you had an injury, you had to declare it because you wanted your your fittest team on the pitch. So Absolutely. quite interesting. So while it's probably a relatively new term within industry, this has been happening in great high-performing teams for quite a while. Absolutely, Ron. Very great example. I think my first experience of psychological safety was in that in that dressing room format, you know, where people can f- freely speak their what they believe their, their truth to be and, and share that openly for the betterment of the team. You know, and I think now industry has is mirroring that with this with this concept, but um, but I do think that it, it it's a very simple concept. You know, it's about creating an environment where people feel that it's okay to speak up, like Brian Cody did in that example, and 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 share your your views for the betterment of the organisation. You're moving on then to kind of senior leadership then, or, or even I suppose manager managers or anybody about being able to demonstrate empathetic listening, that kind of third fingerprint as well. Yeah, surely we've improved as a species at this. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> you you hope so. I think um, I think our 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 world now is so fast paced, and our our fight for attention and and, and concentration is so limited that um, listening is is becoming a diminishing skill in in the world. I believe, Ronan. Um, if if we could all just listen to each other a little better, I think the world would be a lot better. In in industry, it's no different. I think as leaders now, it's it's not just about giving direction and and speaking. It's about how adept are you at listening to what your organisation is actually saying. So engagement doesn't happen without good quality listening happening. And I think as organisations grow, I think particularly as I said, the the fight for talent. If people don't feel heard in organisations, they're probably not going to stay with you they're probably going to move to an organisation where they feel their voice is heard. And I suppose to do that then, a company probably needs to look, and this is your fourth fingerprint, is a coaching mindset. Again, I suppose from your own experience to, as we said, coming from the lab into management, did you find those organisations already had a coaching mindset or was that a a later stage development? Yeah, I would say it's a later stage development, Ron, and I think um, really a coaching mindset is, is, is there to assume that if you've hired great people, if you've got great talent in your organisation, well then don't micromanage them, rather coach them. So coaching to me means that the person in front of you has a solution potentially to the issue that they have. Can you as a leader optimise the, the ability of that person to come to that solution themselves? So for me, coaching really is at the, fun, at the basis of, of leadership of the future. People don't want to be told what to do, but they do want to be supported in, in coming to the right answers and, and growing and developing themselves. Um, so I think that's where the coaching mindset really, really is important. And that will lead you naturally to that kind of fifth fingerprint end, that learning mindset, because I think the day we close our minds off to learning is is pretty much, it's probably stagnation career-wise. Yeah, absolutely, Ron. Well, I often say to my team, you know, um, it's hard to learn if you know it all, right? So it's a very much about keeping that open mindset. The The greatest organisations in the world are constantly learning and if you have an organization and a leadership uh, team who, who are trying to learn and improve, recognizing that they don't have all the answers all the time and that they're trying to improve the processes and the, and the organization, I think that's really fundamental. So that little bit of humility amongst leadership around understanding that we're here to learn as much as we're here to, to know. Um, but I, and so, so I think that's really important as a, as a fifth fingerprint. And those five fingerprints, Ronan, 
as I say, are evident in high-performing organizations. I think they're also something that can be developed. So like any skill or ability, leadership can all, organizations can always op- optimize and improve. So I think performance unlocked is really there as a, as a support for organizations now. I hope to have impact uh, in many organizations with this work. And I suppose a final question for you then, given your background in the pharmaceutical sector, you know, big multinationals surely driven by share, returning shareholder value, um, you know, growth, new products, you know, trying to beat patents, expiring all that. Working in the senior management and leadership positions, trying to hit those targets, was there ever points where you felt I have to kind of, you know, maybe drop my passion for a kind of a coaching mindset, a learning mindset? Like, or was there ever a battle there or was that maybe the organisations you actually ended up working for were they more supportive of that? Yeah, it's it's actually funny, Ronan, because I think the organisations that I've worked for that have been more successful have embraced this, you know, rather than maybe your traditional hard numbers type organisations. I think the hard numbers and the metrics and the performance and the revenues are an output of the culture of the organisation. And I think what I've, what I've kind of tried to do is improve that culture uh, in organisations I've worked in. And I think that's the fundamental basis of Performance Unlocked. How can we get higher levels of engagement, a better culture in organisations that will lead to better numbers, better revenue, better metrics? I think that's the output that, that this work will, will deliver. And I suppose embodied uh, in no better way than the fact that you, you are, while still in the day job as well, you're doing this in order to allow organisations unlocked that. For people who want to find out more about Performance Unlocked, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks, Ron. So uh, the website is performanceunlocked.ie. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, either under Kevin Brady or Performance Unlocked. Uh, I'd love to hear from people about their thoughts in this area and obviously support uh, teams and organisations in any way I can. Kevin Brady, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, all the very best with Performance Unlocked and, of course, all the other stuff you're doing as well. And <laughs> thanks, up, Ronan. Up awfully. Uh, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> thank you. Time for a quick break. After that, I'll be talking to David Quirk from Wholesome Kitchen in Mullingar. They wrote the councillors and TDs recently just to express some concerns at the ever-rising cost of doing business. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. On last week's show, I spoke to Minister Neil Richmond about the job creation by local enterprise offices across the Midlands and indeed nationally. We also touched on the ever-rising costs of doing business. We spoke about things like debt warehousing. He spoke about a grant scheme that's coming in place to give €5,000 to majority of businesses who are paying rates across the country, all of which I suppose are welcome. But the question would be, would they go far enough? Well, we've heard on the, since the turn of the year of a few local businesses that have actually closed up due to inciting the ever-rising costs as well. And some businesses are taking kind of a, a proactive approach and what, looking at the long-term picturing and kind of asking that question, like, well, without additional supports or maybe some clarity from government around the range of measures coming in, everything to do with payroll, pensions, extra leave, you know, raw material price increases, energy costs, it's creating a huge amount of instability and uncertainty. So businesses are looking at kind of getting action on that and ensuring that we can keep these businesses operating in our towns in our villages across the Midlands and right across the country. Well one such business was Wholesome Kitchen in Mullingar owned by David Quirk and our, and um, Sir Denise Buckley and they also run the Sugar Plums Sugar Plum Sweeter there beside it um, two fabulous local businesses um, with over 40 staff between them so again it shows you the impact, the positive impact it has in our local communities. They wrote to TDs and councillors just outlining what they expect to be the impact of ever-rising costs for their business. It was taken up by Longford Westmead TD Robert Troy in the Dáil last weekend and here's what Minister Troy had to say or here's what uh, Mr Deputy Troy had to say about the matter. We acknowledge that there's rising costs for business and they've been consistently rising and 
some of that is down to interest rates, some of that is down to energy prices, even though they're now starting to come back down. And some of it, the cost, and we acknowledge it, it's due to government legislation. Yes, we are increasing the minimum wage. Yes, we are increasing the right uh, to access sick leave. Um, they are really important things to do to safeguard our economy, to make an attractive place to work, allow businesses to grow. But it does come with a cost. So the first immediate thing that we did, Ronan, is in the next couple of weeks, um, 90% of businesses will be receiving up to €5,000 in a single payment um, in, in, as per the increased cost of business grant. That's a, a €250 million Euro investment from the government. That's a one-off thing, acknowledging that. But debt warehousing is providing a particular challenge uh, in the hospitality sector, those sectors that were closed for so long during the pandemic. And that, of course, was Minister Neil Richmond speaking to me in the show last week. Um, I hit the wrong clip there, but I was going to play that one anyway. He was speaking about that €5,000 grant and indeed about debt warehousing, how it, it is going to be reviewed by the departments, but whether it'll make any difference, I suppose, remains to be seen. Um, that clip of uh, Deputy Robert Troy speaking at all about the costs as highlighted by Wholesome, Clip, um, Wholesome Kitchen is as follows. VAT rate increase, 82500 per annum. Payroll due to minimum wage increase and work permit increases, 47,300 per annum. Sick pay benefits, 11,400. Auto pension enrolments, 12,800 per annum. An extra public holiday, 3,200 per annum. Food and packaging continues to increase and energy costs are still massively inflated. David Quirk is the owner of Wholesome Kitchen. A very good evening, David. Hi, Ronan. Thanks for having me on. Uh, not at all. A pleasure. David, when... When someone has gone to the, the trouble of actually putting these, um, you know, looking at these increases and putting some numbers behind them, it's quite shocking, really. Um, did you get that response when you wrote to councillors and TDs? Yeah, I suppose we sent a letter to the same uh, TDs and we did get some generic responses back. But uh, Robert said he really would try and push it for us. Um, and he did raise the question in the doll. I think it's very important, especially at TD level, for them to see a small business, possibly a business that they know, um, to see how those costs actually affect the business this year. And I suppose that's why I broke down our figures. I know they should be fairly private, but it's very important for them to see um, because it's a huge amount. Like It equates to about €160,000 a year in additional operating costs as of this year. So it's a lot of costs coming in all at once. And of course, you know, over the last couple of years, um, ne- never mind COVID and the pandemic and the various, you know, efforts people and business had to make to kind of counteract that. You know, we've seen ever incre- increasing energy costs, raw materials, I'm sure, are you know, have, have probably gone up. They probably haven't come down to the scale that they went up before, if come down at all. And then in 2024, we're faced with huge amounts of new legislation that's going to give employees extra rights, you know, extra pay for minimum, you know, extra raises the minimum wage all of which you know, has been suggested by groups like IBEC has been brought in with little consultation or little focus on businesses. Would, would you tend to agree with that kind of um, sentiment? Um, absolutely. I, I think if anybody sees the breakdown of costs of what it's going to cost our business, I think they would be shocked to see it. And it comes after record years of inflation. So there's only so much businesses can take. Um, I know it's natural for some businesses to close down or for it not to be economical for them, but the level of closures that we've seen even in the last few months, especially in the last few weeks, um, there's just so many cafes and restaurants all around the country closing down and I think everybody could name one or two within their county um, that have closed down the last few weeks so I don't think it's okay for the government to sit back and allow that to happen um, without looking at additional sports that are needed for businesses because if you look at SMEs um, SMEs account for about 70, 000, or 70% of all employment in Ireland and about 72% of that 70% are actually businesses between one and 50 employees. So businesses like ours account for a huge amount of employment in the country. 
Um, and that's why it's so important from an employment uh, perspective to look after small businesses. And as well as like, you know, your, your business is right there on one of the main streets in Mullingar. It's a social place for people. It's creating, you say, over 40 jobs in the locality. It's been well publicised, you know, the, the give back that that gives them within the local community. You know, these are businesses really that we need to survive. And, and your business is a quite a healthy business. So you're just kind of marking this card, I suppose, to really highlight for other people. Number one, it's OK to come out and actually show that you're deeply concerned about these rising costs. Yeah. So within that, like that €5,000 grant, I'm sure you'll welcome it, but it's with the numbers you've given, it's 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 going to go. It's only going to make a very very small dent for 2024. Yeah, like absolutely five thousand. We're going to welcome it. It's a good support. But if you're looking at an additional additional operating cost of about 160 thousand in one year, um, and that's that's attributed to the VAT rate, payroll, um, pension enrollment, the recent bank holiday. There's so many extra costs that the business has had to bear in the last year, and a huge amount coming within this year. Um, so it's too much all at once. That's what I would say. So 5,000 is very, very small. The one thing that restaurants and cafes are looking for is for the VAT rate to come back down. Um, we have the third highest VAT rate uh, for restaurants in all of Europe. So it's definitely disproportionate to other European countries. Um, and we'd be huge takeaway and eat out market um, much higher than other European countries as well. So it's something that if we let restaurants and cafes close, you're going to see social impacts, you're going to see a lack of employment, you're going to see tourism damage. And I think that's where we want to actively try and influence it with government. Um, I think we'll be okay as a business. We're very, very lucky. But I just think it's very unfortunate to see so many businesses closing down. And some of these businesses, they're not new businesses. They're not small businesses. They're, they're restaurants that are around for 30 years. So, And they're all coming out to say the same thing, that it's the worst they've seen in terms of margins and operating costs within the last two to three years alone. Are you still finding then that raw materials, the very cost of food, there's probably a big, un- big kind of a certain amount of uncertainty there too, whether you can actually get ingredients in the first place, but even things like packaging, because I know at Wholesome Kitchen, like you're very focused on having sustainable packaging too, and, and that comes an additional cost as well. And those costs, I'm sure, they're also not going to drop. No, absolutely. What we have seen is the growth of um, increases in prices and costs. It, it has slowed down. But I don't think any supplier has come back to us or even trying to influence suppliers. Suppliers aren't decreasing prices. They're just not increasing them at the same level as of inflation that they would have been used to over the last few years. The same with energy. We've seen a small decrease in it, but it's fairly minimal. Um, and that's massively inflated at the moment. So I think the government needs to get involved with energy companies there. They all have record profits at the moment. Um, and that's something that shouldn't be allowed, even domestically and commercially. Absolutely, yeah, I think that, that would be one measure that would make a, a huge difference as well. When you look at those numbers, and again, as you said, you've been very open with, with putting them out there in the, in the public forum to really showcase this. At any point, do those numbers make you sit back and, and question whether owning your own business is the way forward? Um, absolutely. Like you, you always have a stress of meeting payroll for 40 employees every single week. You have a stress of every cost that's increasing, but I suppose you always have to adapt the business and you have to be positive. Like we set up the business because we love business. We love working with teams, working with customers. Um, and it's something that we're absolutely passionate about. But I suppose it's just a huge amount of stress to put on a few small owners um, that are responsible for so much employment within the country. Like if you let a large amount of those businesses fold, you're going to see huge mass unemployment within the country. And that's something that we don't want to see. And exactly. I mean, if you look even at, within the tech sector, particularly up around Dublin, 
if you look even at the sheer number of layoffs that they can make with kind of one one fell swoop, you know, you could have a couple hundred people gone or a thousand people and very little is made of it. It's kind of accepted as being part of that. But if we lose businesses around the rural areas and our rural towns of, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 or even up as far as 40 or 50 like you do, it, it has a, a deeper yeah. impact as well. Um, do you do you get the sense, do you think that, that government will come back with more? Will there be maybe changes on the warehousing scheme that will help other businesses? Will they maybe look at, at additional grants or maybe even one-offs just to kind of get people over, over, this, over this crest? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that they're going to make changes. They're going to offer more supports. Um, they have to look at bringing the VAT uh, rate back down for cafes and restaurants. My fear is that if people don't shout loud enough, and more restaurants fold, and especially if they're not as public, we're going to see too many people and too many businesses gone uh, too quickly. Um, They're going to have to do something because the employment that is there and the the tax that is coming from these businesses essentially create that surplus every single year. So if we let those fold, it's going to have a massive impact on the economy. And even increasing the minimum rate to such a high rate all of a sudden, that's going to drive on inflation massively. So every single business around whether it's shops, retail, restaurants, pubs, bars, they're all going to increase um, their prices. They have to um, because there's only so much a business can absorb. Absolutely. And again, a sector where the consumers have been shown to be more than willing to pay those rates. As you said, there's a massive kind of trend and a a shift towards eating out and dining out and getting takeaways too. So look, it's clear the consumer wants it. Um, You know, God forbid we'd have a time where restaurants unfortunately have to close just for something like this. And and hopefully some clarity and and some um, um, kind of remedial measures can be brought in very quickly. Very briefly, David, on the whole area of of cash or cashless, do Wholesome Kitchen still accept cash or is something that you're happy to do? Or or does this evening's announcement change anything for you? Uh, We still accept cash and I think there's definitely still a place in society for it. I think after COVID, I think every single business seen a massive decrease in cash. It makes no difference to us whether we accept it or not. But if there's an appetite from customers there, 100, 100%, we'd still accept it. Absolutely. Well, David, listen, all the very best to yourself and Denise, both with a Wholesome Kitchen and the Sugar Plum Sweetery. And uh, hopefully we'll be back talking to you and when, when all this is sorted over time. But anyway, all the best for 24 and talk to you soon. Brilliant. Thanks a million. Thank you. And that's David Quirk there from the Wholesome Kitchen in Mullingar. And again, as we raised, they raised that issue with TDs and councillors recently and brought up by Robert Troy, TD, in the Dáil last week. And, and you know, they were quite open there in highlighting the additional cost. You know, when you have a staff of over 40 people, and I think that's what we often overlook. We don't look at our local restaurants, businesses, and think they could have 40 people on their books. The reality is they do. And think of the impact that makes in our community. And again, why we need to keep those businesses and protect them. Anyway, time now for a quick break. After that, we'll have a quick look at some recruitment trends for the year ahead. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. So far this evening, we spoke about building high performance teams and then about the challenges that many smaller local businesses are facing but due to rising costs, be it from you know legislation changes around employment law, uh, increased cost of materials, energy, etc. So when it comes to looking at recruitment and job search trends for 2024, um, we can pretty much say that actually pay rises may not be on the cards for pretty much the majority of companies. That's according to Yasmin El Kershi, Marketing Manager with All Pro Recruitment. So looking at some of those trends that are going to come over the next year or so, um, Yasmin is supposed to begin. What are the primary concerns that you're seeing from the recruitment sector that businesses are faced with this year? Yeah, so basically the way it's gone, according to all the research, is that number one concern for businesses this year is um, rising costs and number two is still staff shortages. 
I mean, staff shortages are predicted to go on until 2030, at least. So that's across the board. So, um, yeah, there's two parts to that, I suppose. It's staff shortages and then retaining staff, you know, keeping the staff that you have, because obviously other businesses need staff. So they're going to try and poach your your staff as well. So you have that kind of double. Yeah. And I suppose at a time of, of full employment, that makes it even harder to maybe get those people in the first instance yeah. and then get them in and keep them. People are trying all sorts invariably to try and keep staff too. What are companies looking at right now? And, and does this reflect what these, these actual workers are looking for too? Yeah, I think like, so companies are having to put themselves in the in the shoes of their workers and see what they want because say, for example, if they can't give them the um, salary increases that they, they want, the employees want this year, they're looking at things like offering healthcare, gym membership, free tea and coffee in the office, free breakfasts. What we do in our place is it's toast and eggs and whatever, which is great, actually. Um, what about bring your dog to work day, Ronan? Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Dogs would be brilliant here across uh, Midlands 103. But um, and I, look, at, I, I laugh not because I know of a company in Mullingar, uh, social media elite and icon management uh, run, of course, by fantastic uh, couple Connor Cochran and Sarah Kiernan. They have dogs in their office, but... That's what works for their company. And I'm sure there's other companies do similar. But I think for anyone listening and any business owners, it's like, what is that thing that you can do that staff will really appreciate? It does not have to be dogs, but there might be something else. So dogs in your office is not, it's not entirely crazy. No, because think about it, Ronan, like a lot of people are paying someone to mind their dogs or maybe a relation is popping in every day. You know, it's it's another cost to people. So, yeah, um, other things that we can do is volunteer days, you know, people actually having time to give back and upskilling the staff that you have, which is works on two counts. One, it helps people to stay within the job. And two, it helps you to find that to be able to further people's career along within your company, hopefully. And is there's a huge amount of resources available this year in particular, you know, through additional funding into all sorts of educational schemes to allow people to upskill as well as internal courses and stuff like that. Um, in terms of the actually looking at the environment then, the hiring environment going ahead, um, when it comes to actually choosing employees and, new, and recruiting new people, you're suggesting that companies will be maybe a little bit more cautious this year. Yeah, I think so. I think some of them have been badly burnt because it's that thing, you know, when there's a shortage in the market, do you just go for the first person that comes along? So like bad hires are expensive and I don't have the figure, but an economist once worked it out and it's so much more expensive than you can ever imagine hiring someone who doesn't work out within your company because there's reputation damage, you know, senior leaders are spending time training, all that kind of stuff. So when you add it up, it's very expensive. So probably this year, what I'm predicting is that there's going to be a much slower hiring process. There might be some more rounds of interviews. They're probably going to be showing you around and introducing you to colleagues and all that kind of thing, just to get a feel for you as a person. And, you know, so you can get a feel for them as well. Will that be very much a physical process, do you think, of actually bringing people to the place of work, letting them physically meet people or just kind of give them a a virtual tour of the facilities? So a bit of both, because another like definite um, virtual recruiting is the norm. You know, that's going to be a trend going forward. So we have a lot of these online interviews and just a top tip. It's still an interview because we've heard horror stories of people interviewing from their car while they were driving, people interviewing in their T-shirts and, you know, like shorts. 
it's it's still an and interview. Do you know what? And that advice actually was used to be given out many, many years ago when a telephone interview was a thing that it used to be kind of a psychological thing that dress in your suit or dress in your work clothes, you know, even though it's on the telephone and nobody can see each other, it puts you in that frame of mind that I'm actually doing a job interview. So Jesus, if you're going to do it on a video interview, yeah. at least dress up for it. Absolutely. And also, you know, it shows the other party, the, the employer, that you're interested in the job. Whereas if you're on a call while you're still in your, I don't know, in your office canteen and your, you know, your other colleagues are around you, they already have doubts about it. And you can always reschedule an interview if it's something comes up and it doesn't suit you at that yeah, time. Yeah, that's an interesting point because particularly if it is an online interview, it's probably a lot easier to reschedule yeah. because it's not that people have had to put themselves out and make and, tea and coffee. And that, I suppose, people, is just good old-fashioned manners. Um, I'll have part two of that interview with Yasmin because she goes on to talk about baby boomers, how the youngest is now 60, so that might bring a lot of retirements across many sectors in the year or two ahead. And we look at other aspects too around hiring and the role of artificial intelligence and everything else. So we'll bring you more on that next week. But I thank you for listening for this evening. Joe Cooney will be here after the news at eight with Country Roads. I'll be back next Tuesday. We'll bring you details of a fascinating Dream Big programme that engaged loads of tra- uh, transition year students and, and showcased them the careers available to them across the manufacturing sector next week from 7. Returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.